God, for all of the times that we've run away from you, for all the times that that we've tried to get away, thank you for coming after us. Thank you for chasing us down and showing us your goodness. You are a good, good God. As we read the scripture here today, Lord, we pray that you reveal more of yourself to us. We pray that in this time of the message that uh, we would hear your voice. And we pray this all in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you would like to follow along in the message here today, we are in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, 1 through 12. Nehemiah 8, 1 through 12. And as you're turning to that, uh, this, is, um, this is now the third message in this small series about the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we started this, it was about Ezra and Nehemiah being commissioned to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls and reestablish Jerusalem as the center of worship for, for the Jewish community. And so they set out and do that. And then last week we talked about the journey that they went through in getting there, uh, how Ezra went and he went without the army, of Persia. He went by himself because he had God on his side and God was directing him. And then we talked about Nehemiah and how he was building the wall and how uh, the workers worked with their load in one hand and a weapon in the other hand. And Nehemiah was making sure that the people knew that if they were going to be attacked for building the walls, that God would fight for them. And so now we're at a place here in the book of Nehemiah where the wall has been completed, the temple has been furnished, they've not yet been dedicated yet, but they're at a point where the walls are up, the temple is, is reestablished, and now they're entering back into this worship community that they used to have. And so uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, 1 through 12 And all the people gathered as one man at the square which is in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for that purpose, and beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkah, Baasiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkajai, Hashem, Hashbadadana, Zechariah and Mushalam on his left. Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, who were, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed low for worship, the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabethi, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, the Levites explained the law to the people, excuse to the people while the people remained in their place. 
They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was, with the, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all of the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. So the people are gathered here in the first day of this seventh month, and the month that they're gathering in is Tishri. And it's a month that's very important in the Jewish worship calendar because this is the month that, that essentially celebrates the harvest that the people have, have harvested in their fields. And when they harvest in their fields, they're supposed to leave a tenth of their field unharvested so that anyone who's journeying through would be able to pick out of their field and have something to eat. They gather together. Uh, this is the, the Feast of Trumpets where they gather together and they blow the trumpets. Uh, a few days later is the Day of Atonement. That's the day that Israel sacrifices to the Lord for all of the sins that they've committed. Uh, this is a high day for the year. And then a few days after that is the Feast of Booths where they make tents and they live in tents for a week uh, to remember the wandering that they did in the desert. So this is a big month in the Jewish calendar, and they're gathered here at Watergate, which is just south of the temple. And when they gather together, they, they have Ezra practice a tradition that was known in Deuteronomy 31. If you go back to Deuteronomy 31, uh, Moses has just laid out for the people all of the things that God has done to bring them out of Egypt. And when he ends all of that in 31, he makes this point. He says, uh, when you gather, make sure to read this law. And he, and he basically says, don't forget to read these instructions from God because if you forget, you will fall away from God. And so Moses gives the command, continue to read these scriptures. Every year that you gather, pull these scriptures out and read them to the people, to man, woman, child, to a stranger that's living in your land, to somebody that doesn't know Yahweh, make sure they show up to read these scriptures with you so that you would know who God is. And so Ezra does that. He, he pulls out the scripture and he begins to read the book of the law, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and he's reading this for the purpose that the people who are gathered there would hear the story of who God is, would hear the story of how God chose uh, his people and how God has given them instructions to worship him. The reading of Scripture is incredibly important to our worship because it tells us two things. First of all, it tells us how to worship. You know, you look throughout the Old and New Testament, everything we do in our worship service is based out of Scripture. 
You know, as we go through and we sing songs and we pray to God and we read the scripture and we respond with more prayer and singing, all of that has been established in scripture as a way that we would worship God. Uh, communion that we partook in here. Uh, Pastor Mark read from 1 Corinthians the directions on how to provide communion, on the words to say and why we partake in it. So scripture is important to our worship service because scripture tells us what to do and it also tells us what not to do. As you look through the New Testament, there's plenty of instructions that Paul is giving his churches where he says, hey, you guys are doing great in this area but you really need to clean up this area. You know, you go through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's a roller coaster, man. He goes through, and first he greets them as saints in the Lord, holy people unto God, and then he says, oh, by the way, as much as you're holy, you actually can't do this or that in the worship service. And then a few chapters later, he talks about how he is just excited that the people have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but... You're practicing the gifts wrong. You need to practice them this way. So scripture is important to our worship service because it tells us what to do. But then scripture is also important to our Christian life because it tells us who God is. We wouldn't know who God is if it wasn't for the scriptures telling us. You know, we have all of these songs about how God is good and faithful. A little bit later, we're going to sing a song about his sovereignty. We wouldn't have the words to sing about God if it wasn't Scripture telling us that this is who God is. That first song that we sing, uh, I am a friend of God's. We wouldn't know that God is our friend if we didn't read in John chapter 14 when Jesus says to his disciples, no longer do I call you servants, I call you my friends. And so this is an example where scripture tells us who God is. We can have an experience of who God is outside of scripture but we're not going to know what that experience is or who God is without Scripture. It, it would sort of be like meeting somebody that you don't know and then later finding out who he is. That's how God works. He may introduce himself, but you've got to go to Scripture to understand who he is and understand that encounter. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the games I have with my father-in-law, it, well, has anybody ever purchased an item from like Ikea or Wayfair and, and the item looks like it's all set together and then when you purchase it, what is it? It comes like a Lego set, doesn't it? Like it, it shows up, you've got a million bolts, a million screws and what's the most vital piece of information in that box? The instructions. And I don't know about you, but I am not the kind of man to throw out those instructions. I think you're crazy if you want to throw those out and build it on your own. And so I do this thing with my father-in-law. If I get one of those to set up by myself, I'll take a selfie with the items spread out and the directions in a timestamp. And I'll say, okay, it's 2 p.m., time me. And I, I've got to say, I'm pretty good at it. But I'm only good at it because I follow the instructions. If I didn't follow the instructions, it would be a mess. It would be horrendous. The instructions are there so that you would know what to do, and then also the instructions are there so that you know what the end product is supposed to be. 
Well, this is scripture. We're provided with scripture so that we know who God is and we know how to worship him. And, and we're given that insight into his character and his love for us. So the reading of scripture is vital to our spiritual growth, not only as a church, but as an individual. If you're not in the scripture daily studying it, being with God, you're missing out on who God is and you're missing out on how to grow closer to him. So when Ezra comes into the city and begins to read the book of the law, this is him reading scripture so that the people would understand who God is and how he came to save them as a people. So this is incredibly important. So we move on now. That was verses 1 through 6. As we move on to verses 7 through 8, not only was Ezra reading the scripture, but then you have the explaining of scripture. So all of the people are gathered together. Ezra is reading from a wooden podium. And while he's reading, there's, there's uh, Levites there that are explaining the scripture to the people. So Levites were temple workers. They, they were called by God to make sure that the temple was taken care of, that it was cleaned and maintained, that if anything needed to be done, they would be there to fix it. And part of those duties was studying the law because the book of the law, uh, uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy, would tell you what to do in the temple. And so as Ezra is reading the words, the people are listening and the Levites are making sure they understand the meaning of the scripture that Ezra is reading. Now, you don't have to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody and I don't want to embarrass myself But I'm sure you've ran into those scripture that you read and go, what? I've been there. You go through the scripture and you read it and you go, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Did I just read that right? Did did that really happen? And then you got to go through it again and then you stop to think, I don't understand this. I've been there. In fact, just two weeks ago, uh, when I was getting ready for my first message, guys, I've studied Ezra and Nehemiah. I made sure I was ready for these sermons, and as I was getting ready to walk in here, I thought, how long were the people in exile? I thought, 70 years. Yeah, yeah. Was it 70? And I saw Pastor Mark, and I said, hey, hey, come here. Don't tell anybody. Israel was in exile for 70 years. And he said, yeah, yeah, 70 years. I was like, okay, okay, good, good. I don't want to preach heresy up there or anything anti-biblical. I don't want to play a guessing game. And some of you know I've done that to you. Before I've come up here to preach, I've, I've stopped and I've said, hey, um, James and John were brothers, right? Okay, yeah, I knew that. I knew that, yeah, yeah. But this is something that we need as Christians when we run into scripture that we don't understand is making sure that we go to somebody who does understand it so they can explain it to us. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in coming to a moment in scripture that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and so we read it more than once and then we go to somebody that's maybe discipling us Or maybe it's just somebody that you think is wiser or smarter than you. Or you may go to a scholar. You may pick up a commentary somewhere that explains the words of Scripture that is very important to our understanding. And the Levites are doing this with the people. You know, Ezra is... Have you... Has anybody here ever read Leviticus? 
there's some laws in there that you just like, oh my, we did uh, in, in the youth group, we did a study on, on the forbidden foods that were in the law. Oh my goodness, you know, we were just lost because it was like, okay, if it has two hooves and it chews this way, you can't, well, what animals would that be? I don't know, I just Googled this. I think it's these animals here. But we were having to go to somebody outside of us to understand what was in the scripture. And so the Levites are doing this for the people, where the people are gathered around, and, the, and we don't know how they did it. They could have done it in small groups, in, in small groups of a certain amount of people that one Levite would then explain what Ezra read. There's also the idea that maybe Ezra read and then stopped, and one of the Levites would stand and give the explanation. But the important part was that whatever was not understood was explained in a way that the people could understand it. Well, that's our job as Christians. Whatever you understand about the Scripture, it is actually your duty to go out and explain to somebody what they don't understand about Scripture. And and I know the hesitancy that we might have in that because we don't feel qualified. And let me say, if the feeling you have is that you don't feel qualified to to, uh, explain the Scripture to somebody... It's actually a really humble place to be. That's a really good place to be because then you can explain, hey, this is my understanding and I'm still getting to know it. I think of my Bible teacher when I was at seminary. Uh, he, he did his whole, his whole work was on the book of Matthew. And when he came in and taught us about the book of Matthew, it, it was just, it was unbelievable the things that he knew. And I just thought, man, I, I want to get to that point where I understand the scripture like he does. And then there was a lecture where he said, you know, guys, I've been reading the book of Matthew my whole career, and I still don't understand everything about it. <laughs> yeah, where do you go with that? Except that what he was explaining to us was there is always growth in understanding who God is. There is always growth in knowing more about God. And so our job in that light is to go out and whatever we know about God and whatever we know about the Scripture, we can explain to other people. We can explain where we got it from, how we came to that understanding, and point them in the right direction. Because somebody else may be at a place where they don't understand, and if you're at a place where you do understand, you can now bring them along with you to know more about God. So we are called now to to go out and bring the understanding of Scripture out to those who don't know it. Well, so Ezra reads the law, the Levites explain the law, and and then something happens with the people. This is in verse 9. Something happens with the people that is going to happen inevitably when we encounter the truth of God. And that is, they were grieved. They, they were upset. They, they heard the word of God. The word of God was explained to them. And then they came to a realization that they were not up to par with who God is they realized that they had been living in disobedience. And think for a moment what that might have felt like in their scenario. So they came back from exile, reestablished Jerusalem, and and they're living a life in Jerusalem, and then they begin to hear the law and realize that from the time 
they came back to Jerusalem to this time of worship, they weren't being obedient to God. What brought them into exile? Disobedience to God. And now there's, there's, there's this realization that they're coming to. Wait a second. I was born in exile, or I traveled in the exile because I wasn't being obedient, and now I'm hearing the words of the law, and, now, and they're being explained to me in a way that I can actually understand it. I'm still being disobedient to who God is. And so they begin to grieve, and they begin to, to, to weep, because now they realize that they're still not doing what God has called them to do. This is going to happen when we encounter the truth of God and we realize that we're not living up to what God has called us to live up to. This is called conviction. This is a moment when we read the scripture and we realize God is calling us to something. God may be calling us to sacrifice. God may be calling us into a new ministry. God may be calling us to stop doing something. And when God calls us to do that, and we're convicted at heart, our first reaction is going to be weeping and grieving. And that's how the people react. They don't know what to do. They just found out that they've been sinning against God this whole time. Well, thankfully, Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites, they're able to calm the people down. And in the following verses, uh, up until verse 12, uh, they tell the people, it, it's, it's, a little, it's a little comedic, because the people just start weeping and, and you can almost see it on Nehemiah and Ezra's faces like, whoa, 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 calm down, calm down. It's okay, it's okay. You can fix this. <laughs> they say to the people, don't weep, don't grieve, don't cry. They basically say to the people, uh, this is a holy day. This is a day that we come before the Lord to confess those sins. This is a day that we come before the Lord and we celebrate God. You don't need to weep. You don't need to be afraid because God has saved you. God has rescued you. And so the people ask, well, what do we do then? <laughs> we just heard the words of the Lord and we're convicted. What should our reaction be? And, and Nehemiah directs them and says, go, celebrate. That's what this feast is about. Go and celebrate eat what you can, and, and then he even says, be generous. Go and give to those who don't have any portion. Live as a community under God's protection. They've come to God, they've heard the word of God, they've had it explained, they've been convicted, and now they've repented, which repent just simply means that I'm going in this direction, I'm going to stop, and I'm now going to go in the other direction. And so their repentance is, I was living in ignorance. I didn't understand what the law meant. I didn't understand who God was. But now that I understand, I'm going to stop going in that direction and I'm going to start going in the right direction to follow God's laws and follow who he is. And what's incredible in this moment, a lot of scholars have labeled this the revival of Jewish worship because then the next few verses, they re the people basically say, Ezra, we haven't had enough. You need to come back and you need to read more of the book of the law. We need to hear more about who God is. And so Ezra comes back and as they read through it, they hear it, they understand it, and then they make a decision to follow it to the T. 
So it's this incredible moment in verses 13 and through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, the people begin to realize what they need to do. They're not told by Nehemiah, stop doing this and start doing that. They read it and they say, I need to stop doing this and I need to start doing that. And one of the first things they do is they recognize that they're supposed to be celebrating the Feast of Booths. And so they say to one another, okay, let's read the law, let's figure out how we're supposed to celebrate it, and let's go through and let's celebrate it. And then you get into uh, chapter 9 where they spend time confessing all of the sins that they've committed. And then they go through and they sign documents to reestablish their covenant with God. And then they continue to go through and find areas that they can grow in the Lord. And they've returned to God's covenant that he established with them. All because they took the time to read the scripture. All because somebody was there to explain the scripture to them and because they chose to follow God and not walk away from him. The reading of scripture is incredibly important to our worship service and also to our personal lives because it tells us who God is and it tells us how to worship him. As I close here, I have a story of of what it means for somebody that grew up without Jesus, that grew up without the scripture, what it means to finally encounter him. This is from the American Bible Society, and the girl's name is Alima from Mozambique. Alima made a decision that would change her life forever. She went with her mother to church where she learned about Jesus Christ and got a Bible of her own. Receiving a Bible is like receiving the Savior in my life, Alima says. The Bible changed my life. Whenever I open my Bible, I feel God in the scriptures and can interact with him. The Bible is God in my hands and heart. Without the Bible, my life would be terrible. Without a Bible in Jesus, I was just existing with no hope. But Jesus brought me from existence to life. When I got my first Bible, I felt that I had something in my life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that that you have provided us with your word, and we thank you that, that you have opened it for us, that you've opened our eyes, that you've opened our heart to receive uh, what you say about yourself here. We thank you that we can come into our worship service and, and know who you are because of your word. So, Lord, as we leave this place, we pray that you would continue to pull us deeper into the scriptures, that you would continue... Uh, to enlighten us and tell us your truth. But more than that, God, we want to know you, we want to grow in you, but also, God, we want to tell others about you. Lord, we pray that opportunities would come in the following weeks and the following months where we can share with others what you have done in our life and that we can open the scriptures to other people that have not yet encountered them. So, God, we pray for those opportunities as we leave this place, and we pray that you go before us and prepare those places for us. Amen. There is strength within the song.